Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Caleb Gabrelli. I'm the missions pastor here at Grace Point Church. I'm the associate pastor of Global Advancement and Community Care. And uh, some of you are probably thinking right now, oh, great, since the missions pastor is on the stage again, here comes another angle that he's going to use to try to get me on one of those trips to Africa or India where people need Jesus. And you'd probably be right. Uh, but no, the, the truth is that every week when our lead pastor, Mike McDaniel, speaks, uh, he's speaking about living life on mission. Every time Randy Willis speaks or Wade Bryant speaks or Lori McDaniel takes the stage or even last week when Kevin Crow spoke about being in rhythm with God, it's about living life on mission. You see, it doesn't matter who speaks from this stage, whether you're a guest speaker or not, the individuals that speak within this place of worship, generally the deepest message will be about living your life on mission, bringing glory and honor to God because that's what being the church is all about. And Grace Point started with that foundational truth in mind. So this morning, we're not only going to look at the life of an individual within Scripture that lived life on mission, but we are going to consider how everything changed for this person. How everything changed in, in different aspects of their life completely changed for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the good news that Jesus Christ came and died for the absolute worst of sinners, that we might have life and have it to the fullest. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the good news. So before we go any further in God's word this morning, uh, just bow your heads and just pray with me. Father, we love you, and um, God, we come before you this morning as a broken, sinful, uh, messed up people acknowledging that we need a Savior. And God, we, uh, we live in a world, we live in a country, we live in a city, God, that is broken and needs Jesus. And so God, this morning, we pray that we learn more about you and your character. God, may we learn more about ourselves and God, may we take the truth that we learned from your message and God, apply it to our lives that we might live in a deeper relationship with you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you brought your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 16 in the New Testament. Uh, feel free to use your Bible apps if you would rather follow along with me on your phones. But just a brief bit of history here so that we all have an understanding where we are in Scripture. We're in the New Testament. Acts was... Um, written by a guy named Luke, the same author who wrote the gospel of Luke. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, a lot of historians and scholars believe that this is really part two to Luke's writing. And, and Acts really comes after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And the very beginning of Acts starts out with Jesus ascending into heaven right before the very eyes of some of his apostles. We can assume that the word Acts, uh, the title of the book, really is about forward movement and the advance of the gospel as throughout the book, there's these different heroic accounts of the apostles. It's the early church gaining energy and momentum. And I, whenever I see the word acts, I think of activity. There's a lot beginning to happen here with the church. And this morning we'll be looking at a specific account of an individual that was impacted by Paul's life. Uh, rather, God's message through the Apostle Paul and how this account might cause some reflection within our lives. And so if, you're, if you've got your Bibles open to chapter 16, I'm going to be reading starting in verse 13. 
Luke writes, On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now, we just read three verses, real short here, about a woman that the text identifies as Lydia. And while having heard her name mentioned at various times in my life, I can assure you that I've never really dug into this passage of Scripture like God's been pounding it into my head and my heart lately as I just keep processing and processing this. You see, as the missions guy, there's two things that happen nearly every single week. The first one is that people naturally fear whenever I text them or call them or email them saying, hey, you want to grab coffee? Or hey, you want to go to lunch? And, and people even tell me that they'll get nervous when I approach them in church just to say hi because they're afraid I'm going to ask them to go on one of those global adventures with one of our teams. You guys, you know it's true. You know if I'm talking about you right now, you're like nudging the person next to you. It's true. The second thing that happens nearly every single week is kind of just the opposite about people fearing me asking them to go on a trip. It's that people will come to me and inquire with me about going on a trip. But let's back up for a minute because maybe like some of you, for most of my God-fearing Bible-attending life, I'm sorry, church-attending, Bible-believing, southern Bible belt, grown, homegrown city boy or country boy, I've thought that really to be one of those really religious people, like you got to go on a trip. For most of my life, I thought, okay, if I can just get on a missions trip, check, people will see like what I believe. It'll indicate, it'll represent, it'll demonstrate who I am, that I love Jesus. If I can just go on a trip. Now, please listen to the entirety of my message this morning before you go and tell Pastor Mike that based on, you know, the message from the missions guy, it doesn't seem like missions are very valued because that's not true. I love mission trips. But the truth is, is that as I've been processing this particular account of a woman that we know as Lydia, that many of us might have missed out on a much larger, much more important message that God might be trying to get through to us. Maybe our minds are quick to think about this act of going, but we miss out on the why. We we miss out on the purpose. We miss out on what God wants to do in us before we think he's going to do something through us. We miss out on how he wants to use us and why he wants us to go. And so from the text this morning, I just want to talk through some things that might help us better understand how to intentionally live our lives for his glory. Because... I don't want you guys to feel like at Grace Point Church, we're boxing you in to a specific style of Christianity where the only way to be on mission is to go on one of these trips because the requirement kind of just ends up being to go. And in the miscommunication, it's sometimes the end goal is just that I went and that's not true at all. So number one, Lydia listened Verse 14, Luke writes, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia. Now, how many of you, by show of hands, how many of you remember when your parents, or maybe now it'd be a spouse, have gotten on to you for not listening? Raise your hand. 
I really expected to see every guy's hand up because I, thank you, Kelly. I thought this was like a universal problem with a male gender, but it might just be me. Listen, I confessed in a previous message that I spoke that I have a terrible memory and I haven't lived that down since, but I'm going to humbly confess something before you this morning. And I don't know if that means that every time I'm standing here, I'm confessing something about my life, but I think that maybe the reason I have a terrible memory is because I'm a bad listener. I mean, I I try, I, I really do, but I know where my son Tate gets his daydreaming from because while people are talking to me, I'm, I start out, I'm trying to listen, but my mind begins to wander. I can't believe I'm telling you this right now, but sometimes when people are talking to me, like my mind is so deep into the outdoors trying to figure out where I'm going to put my next deer stand that it's ridiculous. And when, when I figure it out and then I'm right back to you, you're asking me a question like, so what do you think? I think that's good. You know, I'm not going to live this down. I know it. So here's the deal. I hear everything just fine. Actually, no, I don't. That's a problem too, because after 10 years in construction, my hearing is going, so I'm just a mess. But my point here is that there's a stark difference between hearing and listening. And this got me in trouble a lot as a kid with my parents and and with teachers in school. But when Luke writes that Lydia was one of those listening, man, this tells us that she was avidly seeking that she was intently searching within Paul's message for something more. She was hungry for truth. She she was focused. This doesn't mean that I'm not focused when you're talking, okay? It was just a little illustration. But with Lydia here, man, she's like, give me more, and she's wanting something. But wait, Lydia was a worshiper of God. And it gets even more confusing when Luke writes, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Why is a worshiper of God listening so intently and then God opens the heart for a response? Could it be that Lydia had something left to surrender? Maybe as a worshiper of God, she acknowledged God. She feared God. You know, she, she was a really good person. She abided by the law. She was definitely really nice. She was religious. She always went to church. She served one, worship one. She attended communitas group. She made sure to do her daily devotion, quiet time every single day. Earlier in the book of Acts, in chapter 10, there's a story about Peter and a man named Cornelius. And if you look with me just real quick at the very beginning of Acts chapter 10, you'll see about all we know about Cornelius before he encounters Peter. Verse one, just real fast. There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Later on in Acts 10, Peter obediently presents the gospel the good news of Jesus to Cornelius and his family and his friends and all these Gentiles who are there, everyone who's there listening. And and Peter explains that God accepts men from every nation. And guess what Cornelius and the others there do? They're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. There's another story in the New Testament about this rich young guy that asks Jesus about eternal life. You know, he says, look, I've performed all the commandments. You know, I'm a God-fearing Jew. I'm this, I'm this religious individual. And Jesus says, all right, 
then go and sell all you have and give it to the poor. You see, I wonder how many of us give generously to those in need, pray on a regular basis. We consider ourselves religious individuals. We attend gatherings. We're worshipers of God. But we haven't really submitted and surrendered our lives to following Jesus. Lydia wasn't gathered with a group of people hearing a message from a guy named Paul. She was listening because she was searching and she hadn't fully surrendered her life to the Lord. What else from the little we know about Lydia could we learn and apply and how to live our lives intentionally for God's glory? Number two, Lydia lessened. She lessened. I don't mean she was schooled or she was taught a lesson. I mean, she became less so that God could become greater. For example, do do you think that it was easy for one who was already considered a worshiper of God to respond and be baptized? I mean, talk about a humbling experience to humble yourself before the Lord and before your family and friends. I'm not very good with illustrations, but I was thinking this morning, man, what if that was like an individual in this room that, that we all knew was here every Sunday, that had been religious their whole life, that grew up in the Bible Belt, And Pastor Mike gives one of those really just heart-changing messages. Actually, Mike would say, Caleb, I give one of those every week. Uh, But Mike gives this this crazy message, and at the end, he says, you know what? If you've never accepted Jesus into your life, then then come down to the front during this song, and let's pray together. Let's talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus. And this individual in the room that was this religious individual that was here every Sunday that we all know, was looking around at all these broken, messed up, you know, sinful people go down to the front that we all know need to come down to the front. But then this individual comes forward and the rest of us are going, what, no, why do they, what, what are they doing? Like they're, they're religious. And Lydia is baptized along with the other members of her household as well. That's the woman of influence that she is even at home that they, they must be like, look, if, if, if you need to surrender something still and really follow this Jesus, then I definitely haven't been doing that. Count me in as well. I surrender. Let's, let's do this baptism. I want to live my life for Christ. Lydia is either unmarried or more likely she's a widow since there's other members within her household and she's working and, and she's calling the shots as later we see that she invites Paul to her home. And that wouldn't have been a customary thing if there was a husband at home in that day. But other than all of that, Lydia is this successful dealer in purple cloth. And so from researching the history of Thyatira, the area that Lydia is from, I found that the water there was so well adapted, so perfect for dyeing this beautiful scarlet cloth that there was no other place like it that could produce this quality of purple, this cloth. And now she's, she's selling it. She's become quite the prosperous businesswoman. And, and purple wasn't just this trendy color that gained her all these customers. It's like, yeah, I want to wear purple. You know, this wasn't the latest fad. It was an indicator of wealth. It, it was a symbol of, of political power, political ranking. As a Roman, the higher you were ranked in politics, the more purple you would wear on your tunic or your toga. Like, like a Boy Scout proudly um, representing all of the patches that they had. And Lydia isn't dealing with the average Joe, or I guess I should say Jane, and selling like Vera Bradley. This is a targeted, specific market that's, that's profiting big money. 
She's got to have a good income compared to everyone else in their average household income of that day. But let's be honest. We live in a very successful culture within the United States. I mean, just Northwest Arkansas alone, there's incredible businesses. In our country, there's more and more opportunities opening up. Every time you read an article in BBC News, or maybe you're Googling articles, maybe you're just the Facebook individual that's like, oh man, check out this new business. I mean, how many of you guys watch Shark Tank? I watch Shark Tank and that's where I get my creative ideas when they're already producing money and people are starting business out of them. But that's our country. There's so many opportunities. And let's face it, having Walmart right here in our hometown, that doesn't hurt. But there was no Walmart in the area of Thyatira where Lydia was from. But there was this unique business, this niche that she found selling this highly sought after purple cloth. And now she's got a place in Philippi where she's dealing it. To direct her attention now, to respond to the message that she just listened to by the Apostle Paul would have to change the amount of time that she was previously focused just solely on the success of her business and taking care of her family and making sure that retirement was well taken care of. So this is Lydia, this successful dealer in purple cloth who's now making it known in front of her clients and all of her colleagues and all of her peers that there is something more important, even the success, even than the, the successful business that she's been running. And she's baptized. John 3, verse 30. says, he must become greater and I must become less. And I think that Lydia grasped that concept and realized that this public profession of faith in identifying with Christ through his death, his burial, and his resurrection through baptism, this didn't just symbolize the, the idea of surrender. Man, this was a total act of, of surrender, raising the white flag, acknowledging that Jesus is Lord and Savior, master over her life. If listening to the gospel doesn't prompt this type of response within us, then maybe we're hearing a false gospel. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Luke 9, 23 through 25, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, nothing in any of those verses points towards us except us denying ourselves, us becoming less, us be, being made righteous by what Christ has done for us on our behalf. I see that John 3, verse 30, verse, um, he must become greater, I must become less. I, I, you, you see it on bumper stickers. You see it on billboards. I know people that have tattooed it on their bodies. I love it. I love this idea. But I love it even more when I see people divert attention away from themselves, even when it means self-sacrifice, in order that God might become greater and made known to more people in our city, in our nation, and in the world. 
Lydia was blessed with this amazing business opportunity, a successful one as a dealer of purple cloth. But when God opened her heart, man, she got out of the way and she opened her home. Number three, Lydia leveraged. She leveraged. The words intentionality and leverage have been on my heart for over six months now for international church planting. I have to think that Lydia's model right here in Acts chapter 16 is where we need to begin. I mean, immediately following her baptism, we read about an invitation she gives to Paul and his companions for them to come to her home. Uh, Reading verse 15, Luke writes, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, then come and stay at my house And she persuaded us. Now read these words and I can't help but think that Lydia is saying, look, I am sold out. I I, I am completely surrendered to live my life for Christ. You can look at my business, look at my family, like ask me anything you want. I'll be an open book, but just know that I'm ready to do anything I can to help make his name famous. Listen, come stay at my house right now. Like we can strategize together. Um, Listen, I, I know CEOs, I know executives, I know VPs. I'm selling this purple cloth to some pretty high-ranked people. Come stay at my house. Let's network together. What we don't read about is Lydia responding to the Lord by her and her entire family being baptized and then talking about all the things that they'd like to do for the Lord someday. You know, someday. Listen, someday when the business is making enough money that we can just like, we can leave it in someone else's hands and then we're just kind of drawing checks, like then Lord, we could do so much for you. You don't see that. You don't see them uh, talking about the things that they'd like to do for the Lord someday when they have more time because things are just crazy right now. Or someday when the kids are older or, or, or someday when we have more money, God, we could do so much more for you when we just, let's, we need to focus on this and then we'll have so much more money, God. And I promise then it'll all be for you. Or someday, you know, after this next vacation, because I mean, Lydia and her family, like they just, they were just baptized. There was a lot of family in. It's been a crazy weekend. Like, God, we need to get a vacation. We, we just, we need to get away. We just need some downtime. And then it's, it's on for you, Jesus. Or someday, or after this pay raise, or after this job promotion, after this next presentation, after this next big project, after this big work trip, man, for us, that resonates because the enemy can use all these things that are good to distract us and get in our way of why God gave us all those things to begin with. God, the one who's breathing air into us to live every single day, who gave us these phenomenal jobs and job promotions and pay raises and the ability to go on vacation and the freedom that we have is just saying, look, live for me, live on mission for me, bring glory and honor to my name. I think Luke chose to include this very short account of Lydia in this chapter of Acts because it demonstrates the life of an individual whose heart was opened by God, who chose to identify with Christ through baptism, and then immediately begins intentionally leveraging their life for God's glory. We don't read more specifics about her purple cloth business But I have to think that if she was bold enough to open up her her home for these men to to come and stay with her family, that she went on to leverage her successful business dealings in a way that 
um, reflected the, the hope and love of Christ. I'm not trying to add something to the story that isn't here, but Acts is all about the forward movement and the beginning of the early church, the activity, this energy, this momentum. And Lydia sets this bar at a level that I believe we need to take note of and we need to consider following her example. The last thing that I want this message to do is push or pressure Christians into doing more for the Lord. We don't need to prove by activities and mission trips our love for Jesus. But based on the heart and the attitude of Lydia, a woman who truly has her heart opened by the Lord, I'm, I'm convinced that we need to examine ourselves and we need to ask ourselves uh, maybe a big question like, God, have I surrendered everything in my life to you? I'm a firm believer that Christ should be in every area of your life. In every minute of your day, I'm not pushing us to sit in meditation and home. We love Jesus 24-7, but I am pushing us to consider how we can leverage every single aspect of what he has given us to glorify and honor him. What if as parents we began to raise our children more with this missional strategy, that, that they wouldn't see us just go on uh, mission trips They wouldn't see us go and do service work in the community, but they would see that every time we left the house, we were attentive to how we might share the gospel through our actions and through our words and through our love. What if instead of them seeing us exhausted and tired and more than likely grouchy after a day of work, what if they saw us drained from making every effort to see the lost be found through our jobs and our daily activities? What if people began to see that our purpose statements and our visions and our goals for businesses and our jobs and just our positions at work were more focused on people development? And you know what I mean when I say people development? Because that's kind of a code word that I use for disciple making. It served me really well on a few global ventures when people are like, what are you doing in India? Why were you in West Africa? And I'm like, um, I'm in the business of people development. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> And that that leads to some pretty interesting conversations. But I think that if we began this type of shift in our focus and in our thinking to truly listen to God and to ask God, is there more surrendering of my life that I need to do? I, I think we would desire to become less in order that God would become greater. I think that our eyes would be open to all the things that we could leverage for things like church planning in West Africa among an unreached people group where only 1% of 5,147,000 people are evangelical Christians. You know how many lost people that amounts to among one single people group? That's 5,095,530 people who don't know Jesus. I think that this could become a paradigm shift and we would see younger and younger generations begin to listen and lessen and leverage their lives from early on. I mean, what if your son or your daughter only considered dance or the traveling team based on how they felt like God was leading them to live on mission and all the fun things that they do and the gifts and the talents and and the things that they're drawn to, that they began to reach people for Jesus. How incredible would it be if our little boys signed up for baseball because dad, it's only a $90 mission trip for three months. How awesome would that be? 
and you play City League right here in Bentonville or Rogers, you know how many internationals that you would get to interact with and share the gospel with just through playing ball? What if our students began choosing colleges and universities based on different places throughout the world where tuition is a fraction of the U.S. cost. And some of these different universities and colleges and areas of the world actually pay for you to come and study there. And what if our students prayed about that and they went to college in another area of the world where 100% of their strategic focus was on developing relationships while earning their degree with these individuals who were going to go back to their homelands and their home countries where there might be unreached people. And you've had a chance to pour into them maybe the one time that they hear about this Jesus that loves them. They don't have to earn his love. Do you know that studies show that 75% of international students studying in our country never get invited into an American home? 80% never even enter an American church. And guys, there are over 750,000 students from around the world studying right here in our country in our universities and in our colleges. We have got to do a better job leveraging the most basic things that we have. We have six teams forming for Global Adventures just to West Africa. And I am convinced that we have a church full of members that have incredible gifts and talents and skills that could all be uniquely leveraged to help plant five churches over the next five years among an unreached people group in West Africa. And I had a guy, he, he said, hey, Caleb, I, I love golf. What are you going to do with that? And he, he thought he had me stumped. And I walked away from that going, he's got me stumped. Like, what am I going to do with golf in West Africa? And then it dawned on me, there's this random out of place golf course in the capital city of the very country that we work in, that we fly into. Like, what if this individual with my help and the crazy connections I have, like with the director of sports in this country, what if he could put together and they could host a golf tournament and then we can invite these leaders from the area and different countries even in to play golf and just have conversations over a golf tournament. I have a friend in West Africa that Grace Point partners with, but my friend needs help understanding how he might have a sustainable business because his heart is going out to different bush villages and sharing with people about Jesus and making disciples and raising up leaders to change his own unreached people group. And I don't know anything about businesses. I know a little bit about like Dave Ramsey and that sort of stuff, but I'm pretty sure we have a church full of people that are great with business and startup businesses and basic business principles and can teach those when I can't. And we've got teams going, what if you jumped on one of our teams and you went over and instead of being intimidated by, by the, the, the previous thought that you had to know all the Bible stories in order to go on a global adventure to West Africa, you could go over and you could use your gift and skill to help further the movement of churches growing and being raised up. I have another friend in West Africa, lover, follower of Jesus, who's completing his education there. And he has this vision of building a school. And he has saved up his own money because he's a little bit better with business. And he um, has bought property. And he says, Caleb, I want to start a school, but I, I need to pray about teachers. Like I want teachers that I can trust that will, that, that will know Jesus and love Jesus and, and, and put those things into the minds of the students as they're teaching them. And I'm thinking, man, we got a we had a lot of teachers in our church. We had a lot of teachers in our area. And I'm thinking, teachers, have you ever thought about moving to another country? 
I know that's, that, that sounds crazy. And I'm not just talking to teachers, whether you're in business or construction or teaching or, or ISD or whatever it is. God did not give us all of those gifts and those talents and those skills and those natural abilities for our entertainment or so that we could be satisfied just having a good job or so that we could know that we're going to have good retirement someday. I mean, this is, this is God that we're talking about and he gave you that. I'm sorry if I am pushing a little hard this morning. Um, blame it on a Grace Point student security guy Wednesday night who said, oh, you're preaching Sunday? Man, bring us a toe-stomping message. And so if you want his name and number after this service, then I'll let you talk with him. But I'm not trying to offend. I'm just trying to maybe give a little bit of a wake-up call that you have a gift and that you could use it to, to further kingdom work. Henry Blackaby, he said, if Christians around the world were to suddenly renounce their personal agendas, their life goals and their aspirations and begin responding in radical obedience to everything God showed them, the world will be turned upside down. How do we know? Because that's what first century Christians did and the world is still talking about it. This isn't just a push for global adventures to West Africa. This is a call for us to consider how we might leverage everything within our lives to see churches planted among people who don't know Jesus. Right here in Northwest Arkansas, narrative. In Boston with Encounter Church. In South Asia and West Africa. This account of Lydia isn't the only time that she's mentioned. Um, these three short verses are, are just about it. But later on in chapter 16 is a story of Paul and Silas being thrown into prison. And I've, I've spoken on this before. It's one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. Upon the release, when they get out of prison, you know where they go? They go straight to Lydia's house. And there's been some time that has passed from the time that she gave them that invite and persuaded them to come to when they went through prison. And, and now I have to think that her home had become quite the center hub for brothers and sisters in Christ to gather, to, to pray, to encourage one another, to network, to strategize. I can picture maybe there's this big map out on, on the floor of her hut and they're going, okay, you're going there. Okay, I'm headed north. Well, I'm headed south. I'm going over here into Macedonia. Well, well, I, you know, I, I'm going to move my business here and these individuals are going to help me go here. I think we've done all we can do here. We're going to move here. We're going to be leveraging this for Jesus up here in the north. There's many ways to be intentional about living our lives for his glory. But I think that we need to stop and we need to truly listen. I, I think we definitely need to get out of God's way and we need to become less. And I think we need to begin leveraging everything that we have at our disposal. Pray with me. Father, thank you for examples like Lydia. God, who helped shape the early church. God, who provided examples to individuals like us who, who follow Jesus, God, and who want to follow Jesus, God, but who from time to time need to stop and ask ourselves the question, man, is is this following Jesus? 
God, thank you for your truth that you spoke through Paul, that Lydia would respond in such a way that she would surrender all. And she would show us what it's like to really leverage everything that you've got. Father, may we leave here changed this morning, changed by you, changed by your truth, changed by your love, changed by your gospel and the good news, God, that you allowed Christ to go to the cross for our sins, that we might have life and that we might live those lives for your glory and your honor. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.